You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. If you've got a Bible tonight, I want to invite you to open it to the book of Amos. And we'll be there in just a few minutes, Amos chapter 5 specifically. I want you guys to know um, that I'm approaching this tonight not as a pastor of a church um, speaking to worship leaders, but I really am approaching this sermon tonight as a worship leader uh, speaking to worship leaders. One, I, one I, I'm, a, I'm a worship leader at heart. And if you know Aaron Ivey and spent some time with him and talked about our relationship, he'll tell you that I am a worship leader at heart. Um, as a youth pastor 20 years ago, by the way, this week was, uh, I celebrated, celebrated my 20 years, 20 year anniversary in ministry, which is nuts to think about. Back in the day, I was a youth pastor. I had seven kids, and when you got seven kids or youth pastor, you got to have a guitar. I taught myself how to play the guitar, led them in worship, and I loved every single second of it. I was horrible at it, but I loved every second of it, and if I was any good at it, that's what I'd be doing. I love it far more than preaching, and that's the truth. Um, and so I, I'm very involved in the worship ministry of our church. Aaron and I are, are very, very good friends. We like work closely together. Several years ago, he gave me one of the greatest privileges of my life, which was to let me be a part of the songwriting process for our church. And I've had just the just unbelievable privilege of being a part of the writing several songs that we've put on our records. And that's one of the greatest joys of my life. And, and I say all that just so you know this, that I, I'm coming here tonight with a heart of a worship leader. And two, I'm coming from that angle and heart because I believe that as the pastor of the church, one of my primary roles as a lead pastor of the church is to be a lead worshiper in the church. I believe that as a pastor, it's one of my jobs to be not the worship leader, but to be a lead worshiper in the church. I, I don't understand pastors that hang out in the green room and then walk out 30 seconds before they're supposed to preach. I don't even understand that at all. I don't know how you get a sense or a feel of what the Spirit is doing in a room or get the, a sense or a feel of what the congregation, how they need to be led. If you're, you're back in a green room, I love being on the front row as Aaron and my guys lead and worshiping the Lord. I have a heart of a worship leader. And so just know that today I, um, what I teach you is coming from the heart of somebody that absolutely loves and respects and admires what you bring to the body of Christ. What I want to talk about tonight, a very, really simple sermon, I want to share with you what I think are two things, and there's multiple things in the Bible, multiple things in the scripture that could line up with what I'm talking about, but I'm going to share specifically two things that God wants more from you than for you to be an excellent worship leader. I'm going to share two things that God wants more for you than for you to be an excellent worship leader. My guess is that most of us are here because you want to be a better musical worship leader. You want to grow in your gifts. You want to grow in your knowledge. You want to grow in your talents. And I want you to know that that's awesome. You ought to do that. Believe with all my heart 
believe with all my heart that what you do is radically important to the body of Christ and ought to be done with excellence. But at the same time, I believe the Bible is clear that there are, there are a few things that God wants more for you than musical excellence. And one of the first ones is in Amos chapter 5. And I'm just going to share with you a few scriptures that God has shown me over the years and, and really used to convict me of just the direction and the aim and the heart of Austin Stone worship. So Amos chapter 5, let's start in verse 18 together. This is the Lord speaking. He's speaking to his people, the Israelites, speaking to, to followers of the Lord. In verse 18, chapter 5, he says this. He says, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? He's looking at his people and he's saying, for those of you that are longing for the day of the Lord, there are some of you that are looking forward to the day of the Lord. And he asked the question, for what purpose will it be to you? And he says, it will be darkness and not light. It's going to be darkness and not light for you. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. Okay, that's bad. You're fleeing from a lion and you turn around and there's a bear. That's a bad day. He says, that's what it's going to be for these folks. Or goes home and leans against his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? And then verse 21, he gets to the verses that the vast majority of us have read and heard and maybe even preached on in the course of our lives or taught on. He says, I hate, God says, I hate, I reject your festivals. That word reject right there, it carries with it in the Hebrew this this idea of, of melting, it's almost literally saying um, your festivals, when you get together and you celebrate me, literally it, it carries with the idea of, of draining. It's like God saying when you get together and you celebrate me, you drain me when you do that. He goes on, he says, I hate, I, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn Assemblies. The word delight in the Hebrew, it's a descriptive word that, that, that not only means, it means like likes to smell, it carries with it the idea of an aroma. God's saying when you get together in your solemn assemblies, I don't like the smell of them. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. He says, even when you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. And in verse 23, he starts hitting really close to home. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. I remember several summers ago when I was reading this just in some time off, I remember thinking in my mind, I'm like, what in the world is going on with these people? What's going on with these folks that, that a God, that, that the Lord who is jealous for their worship, the Lord God that says, you worship me, you worship me first, you worship me only, what is going on in these folks' lives that he would look at them and say, hey, I need you to know something. Your festivals drain me. Your solemn assemblies, they stink to me. And your songs are just noise to me. I don't even hear them. What in the world is going on there? And here's the thing, the answer is, is because there is something that God wants more than our outward expressions of worship. 
There's something that the Lord wants from you. There's something the Lord wants from his people more than outward expressions of worship. And it says that you've read it before in verse 24. God says, here's what I want. Let justice roll down like waters. And let righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is telling his people, there's a couple things I want more than outward expressions of worship. One is God says, I want justice. And I'm not going to get into justice tonight. One, I don't have time. And two, I know a lot of us are not in control of whether or not our churches engage in justice or not. So I'm not getting into that. But the second one I will, the second thing that the Lord says that he wants from us, from his people, he wants righteousness. God said, I want righteousness. I want righteousness to flow from you like an ever-flowing stream. That's something he wants more than excellence in our worship leading is our righteousness. I, uh, when I went to seminary, I, I had a seminary professor. There was just this huge African-American guy, these big old long hands. He would point at us all the time. And, and he said something to us that I'll ne- it's just stuck with me. I've never forgotten it. He said this. He said, there's so many men out there in this big, deep voice, which I don't have. He said, there's so many men out there that are great preachers but are living rickety lives, he said. He said, there's so many of you in this class that are great preachers, but you are living a rickety life. And if you don't know what rickety means, if you're not from the South, that means you're living a messed up life. That's what God's saying to his people. That's what the Lord's saying to the Israelites, to his folks. He's saying, you folks are great worshipers but you live in a rickety life. And I wonder how many of us tonight that if the curtain of our private lives were pulled back, that the Lord might say that to us. And say, you're a great singer. You're a great leader and discipler of your band. You're you write amazing songs. You're a great theologian. Your songs are theologically accurate, but what I really want from you is for righteousness to flow like an ever-flowing stream. The Lord is saying here, men and women, that, that what he wants more than the excellence of your songs is the excellence of your righteousness. And we have complete righteousness through Jesus. We know that. We're completely holy in our standing with the Lord. But what the Lord also wants is how we live that righteousness out. More than the excellence of our songs, he wants the excellence of our righteousness. And make no mistake, we see it in the New Testament. I'm going to show you here in a second. The Lord will withhold ministry from you. The Lord will withhold blessing in your ministry. The Lord will withhold his manifest presence in your ministry in order to bring about his righteousness and holiness in your life. He promises you he will complete the work he began in you until the day of Christ Jesus. And I just know in a, in a group this size, there's some of us that walked in the door and in this conference and we're thinking, man, I, I just know that what it's going to take for me to kind of go to the next level as a worship leader is I need a better this. I believe that if I just go to, to take it to the next level as a worship leader, I need a better band. 
To take it to the next level as a worship leader, I need a better sound system or I need a better instrument or I, I need a be- better production team or I, I need a better pastor for crying out loud for me to take it to the next level as a worship leader. And I wonder if the whole time that we're thinking about all these external things, the Lord's just squarely looking at our hearts and saying what I want so much more then all that stuff is for you to let righteousness flow out of your life. That's the one thing the Lord wants more than for you to be an excellent worship leader is holiness. The other um, thing, so simple, you know it, but we forget it. The other thing the Lord wants more than excellence in musical worship, men and women, is he wants your heart. The Lord wants your heart. I, uh, a friend of mine used to tell me when I was young in ministry, he'd say this. It's, I've always remembered. He said, Matt, your ministry for Jesus must always be an overflow of your walk with Jesus. Matt, your ministry for Jesus always must be an overflow of your walk with Jesus. And, and it's so easy to forget that. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm up every single week. I know what it's like. But we, we, we forget so easily that for us to, to ever truly be effective, listen to this, for us ever to truly be effective in leading the masses to affectionately loving God, we must first be an individual that affectionately loves God. If we're ever going to be a person that stands up and takes hundreds of people and leads them to worship and love the Lord, we've got to be an individual first and foremost that loves affectionately the Lord. I am um, in my church. I don't, I don't do much interviewing anymore for folks. I, I interview guys that are on our senior level team, and, but I did a lot of it for years, and and folks that were coming to our senior level team and worship leaders especially, I always ask one question. I let the smarter guys on my staff handle all the other stuff. I always ask one question, and usually just one. I look at them and I ask them this. I ask them, when was the last time that the gospel brought you to tears? And they look at me kind of like you're looking at me now. You're like, what? But I, they, I, I'm just asking that. I want to know, when's the last time the thought that when you didn't deserve it and you hadn't earned it, Christ came and died for you on a cross, took your place, and gave you a righteous and holy standing before the Lord. When is the last time that the thought of that wrecked you out and brought you to tears? And if they can't answer that question, I will not hire them. Because I do not want to go to battle with men that the gospel doesn't move their heart, first and foremost. And I dang sure don't want to put men up in front of my congregation that don't first and foremost love and are moved by the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you why that's a really big deal. It's a huge, huge, huge deal. That you as a worship leader and pastors, you as pastors get to the bottom of that because of Revelation 2. And let's turn there quickly. Revelation 2. This is Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus. 
it's one of the more haunting verses of Scripture and texts of Scripture in the Bible to me. <coughs> and to me, we all know where this is going. We, we know about the, but you've walked away from your first love. We all know that verse, but what I've never heard taught very often is what Jesus says is the consequences if we become leaders and we become a church that has walked away from Jesus as our first love. And we're going to see that, and it's scary to me, and it ought to be scary to you. Let me read this to you in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus speaks here and he says to the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write. And then Jesus begins to describe himself here. He, he describes himself. He says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And I have absolutely no idea what that means. But he says, I'm the, I'm the one who holds the the seven stars in his right hand. And then he says this. He says, he says, I'm the one who, and listen carefully to this. He says, I'm the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands are traditionally thought to be the seven churches. And so listen, guys. Listen how he describes himself. Jesus says, I'm the one that walks among the seven churches. I'm the one whose presence moves in the churches. That's what Jesus says. I'm the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And then he begins for this church in Ephesus to talk about the things that they're doing well as a church. That's some good stuff in verse 2. Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. The first thing that Jesus says that he loves about the church in Ephesus is these are men. This is a church that is guarding sound doctrine. This is a church that is lifting high proper theology. Jesus said, I love this about you. I love the fact that you're a church that's guarding the truth of the word of God. And when there are people out there that aren't walking and preaching in the truth of the word of God, you don't have anything to do with them. Jesus said, I love that about your church. And then he goes on. In verse 3, he says, and you have perseverance. Jesus said, you have perseverance. And I want to talk about that word for a second in the Greek. It's a, it's a word that carries uh, with it the meaning of, of like a woman back in the day that would carry a water pot on her head. She is bearing the burden of the weight of the water pot, and yet she continues to move forward. Jesus said, church in Ephesus, I want you to know that I see your perseverance. And watch what he says they're persevering in. He says, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. The, the key word in that phrase is sake. Jesus says, you are enduring the weight of the gospel and you are moving forward for my name's sake. This was a church that was lifting high the name of Jesus. They were lifting high the gospel. They were enduring the burden of ministry. This was a church that was on mission. And Jesus says, I love that about you. And then flip down to verse 6 because he says one more thing that he loves about him. In verse 6 he says, yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's again saying something positive about the church in Ephesus. He says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he said, I also hate. Soft words by Jesus there, I know. And it bears the question, 
What were the Nicolaitans doing that Jesus hated? And history tells us that the Nicolaitans were Christians. They were believers. But they had bent so far to the culture that they no longer were able to be salt and light in the culture. That they looked so much like the culture that you couldn't distinguish them from lost people. And, and Jesus says, I appreciate the fact that you as a church hate that, that you, yes, you're walking in the culture, but you are salt and light in that culture. And so you've got a church that the Lord God Almighty says, hey, you guys are holding up sound doctrine. You're not putting up with false teachers. You're enduring for the sake of the gospel. You're on mission, and you are walking in purity. You're not bending so far to the culture that people don't know you're believers. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a church I'd want to be a part of. It's a good church. But then Jesus drops the bomb that all of us know in verse 4. He says, but this I have against you that you have left your first love somewhere in the course of doing ministry. They forgot the motivation for why they were doing ministry. Somewhere in the course of being a really great church, they walked away from the thing that made them want to be a church in the first place. And that was their passion and their love for Jesus. There was something for the person of Jesus. There was something in the beginning of it that, got, that, that they got swept away in, that, that they got caught up in, that they were just in love with the person of Jesus. And somewhere along the way in the course of ministry, that got lost. To me, what, what, what's haunting is the verse after that, what Jesus says is going to happen if they don't repent. So scary to me. In verse 5, Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else, listen, Jesus says, or else I am coming to you and I am going to remove your lampstand out of its place. Why is that scary? Because you remember who Jesus said that he is, how he described himself? He says, I'm the one that walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you don't bring me back as the first love of your church, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus says in a very real and tangible way, he's going to remove his manifest presence and blessing. From that church. You say, wait a minute, Matt, Matt, Jesus doesn't do that. Yeah, he does. Look at the church landscape all across the country. There's men by the thousands standing up and leading worship at churches Jesus ain't at. And I'm telling you, folks, the last thing I ever want to do is pastor a church that Jesus is not at. I'd rather be anything in the world than the pastor of a church where Jesus has removed its lampstand. What Jesus is saying here, what he's saying here, and you may have heard me say some derivative of this at some point, but what he's saying here is this, that if you love your ministry more than you love your Savior, your Savior will have no part of your ministry. 
If you love worship more than you love your Savior, your Savior will have no part of your worship. We've got to be men. We've got to be women. We've got to be leaders that first and foremost love the person of Jesus. There are probably so many of us in the room tonight. I'm one of them. We don't need to learn the next cool song. That's not what we need. We don't need to learn the next amazing tool for production or the next amazing great technique for discipling our band for some of us tonight more than anything. We need to fall in love with Jesus again. I'll end with this. There was a, there was a really cheesy song that came out in the 90s. I don't remember the name of it, but it was by the Newsboys. And... Um, But it's sung from the perspective of Peter. Some of y'all may remember it. At the end of the song, Peter is in his jail cell and he's about to give his life for Jesus. He's about to be crucified. History tells us upside down. And Peter, again, is the one singing the song. And he's in his jail cell. He looks out the window and it starts to rain. And then he sings this line, Water still reminds me of the seaside where our eyes first met. Peter was seeing that water. He's about to die for Jesus, and he saw the water, and the water reminded him of that day. He was just doing his thing. He was fishing. He was cleaning nets. He's just walking along, and he looks up, and he sees this guy, Jesus. And their eyes met. Jesus said, follow me. And Peter knew in that moment, I'm going to follow this man the rest of my life. Water still reminds me of the seaside where our eyes first met. I remember the night our eyes first met, me and Jesus. It was a room a lot like this, and I was a freshman in college, running like crazy from God, doing everything in the world, miserable, and somebody, by the grace of God, invited me to a room just like this, and I walked in the door, and there was a guy named Sam Perry with a keyboard. This was back before drums or electric guitars, just a keyboard, and he was singing this song. Some of you might remember it. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares to you. And as a stupid, sinful freshman in college, I remember thinking, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And my eyes met his for the very first time and I thought, I'm gonna follow this man all my days. Tonight, more than anything in the world, some of you need to go back to the seaside where your eyes first met. You need to remember, go there tonight. We've got a few minutes. Go there tonight. Remember. Remember what it felt like when your eyes met his and all you knew is you were going to follow him all the days of your life and, and remember what it was like to know, I just want other people's eyes to meet his eyes. And so I'm going to pick up a guitar. I'm going to make sure they can. You go back to that place tonight. I promise you, all this other stuff will take care of itself.